So I'm going to start by um, this, this morning with Psalm 107. While I was uh, thinking of this time and getting ready for it, this is the last year of this year, uh, last Sunday of this year, and uh, on Tuesday is the first day of the new year. So sort of coming out of the old and into the new. And while I was thinking about it, uh, many good things have happened. Yes, many people have gone through trials and tribulations, but when we look back on all of us, I believe it's a good time for us to be thankful for what God has done for us over the years. In the midst of trial and tribulation, uh, as we'll see as we read the scripture here, he never leaves us or forsakes us. And um, my wife has been through two transplants in her life, and um, and I remember in those times being in hospital with her uh, over uh, a number of years, really, in and out of hospital. And one of the things that um, really held us together was our hope in Jesus Christ. And I would sit with people that didn't know the Lord Jesus and be able to minister to them and share God's love with them. And it made me realize over and over, even about preparing for this time, uh, for this Sunday, uh, how blessed we have to have a Lord and Savior who never leaves us or forsakes us. And I thought it would be good today for us to thank him for what he's done. We'll break bread at the end. And it says, Psalm 107, 128. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in the desert in the wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives webbed away, ebbed away. We maybe have felt like this, some of us, sometimes these years, but this is the key. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his, one, and his wonderful deeds for mankind. And this is the key. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. And I believe it's a time for each one of us to consider what God has done in and through us, this in the midst of the trials and that. But we need to tell the stories. We need to remind ourselves. And when we break bread uh, afterwards and remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we're going to come forward and, and receive the elements and, uh, and then... Uh, break bread with each other somewhere around the room. You might be able to want to just spend time thanking God yourself personally or speaking to others. And I want you to consider some of the amazing things that God has brought you through and that God is bringing you through, through these times. Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. 
Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. There's that word. We serve an amazing God. He's an awesome God, a powerful God. But I wanted to remind you here that no matter where you are, God is a good God. And he's a faithful God. And his faithfulness has been, choose, has been demonstrated through all generations. No matter what, we need to remind ourselves that God is good. And yes, his love endures forever. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And Apostle Paul went through many, many trials and tribulations. If you read his life story, shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, persecuted. But he had an incredible, incredible revelation of father love. Many of us may not have had good fathers. Many of us may have had amazing fathers. But there's no love of a father greater than the love of God for us. Because no other father that I know would give his only begotten son to die for us, pay the price for our sin, raise, raise him from the dead, seated at the right hand of the father right now, interceding for us. No one else would do that. And Peter, speaking to the persecuted church in, in, in First and Second Peter, church scattered, it says, through persecution. He says this, that we are receiving the goal of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. And so often, we equate faith and blessing to material riches. And God does bless us, and he can bless us, but many in the church around the world, the persecuted church, this very moment, are suffering for their faith. Because what Peter was trying to remind them uh, to hold on, to hold fast in the midst of persecution, that the goal of our faith is not more stuff. The goal of our faith is the salvation of our soul. And that is for all eternity. And that's what we have to live with, church. In the times we're going into I'm not too sure um, what will happen next year, but all I do know is that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus to run this race. We need to run with perseverance, and we need to run with eternity in our hearts. Word of God says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, works his whole life? makes billions of dollars, has everything he ever wanted and everything he ever wished, and is now more than likely totally bored because he doesn't know what to do with all of his wealth. And as Solomon, Solomon said, vanities of vanities, it's all vanity. Because God said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? The goal of our faith is this, the salvation of our soul, that we will spend eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for that, we should be very thankful, no matter what we go through. Paul writes in Romans 8, from 28 to 39, the whole chapter of Romans 8 is an amazing chapter where he talks about sonship and heirship and being co-heirs. But in the midst of his many trials, he writes this from verse 28. For we know 
that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul went through many old things, but he always saw the goodness of God at work in his life and others as he went through those trials. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What an amazing God this is. Called by God, justified in and through Jesus Christ. When we accept him and we confess our sin, justification, a simple way of uh, knowing what justified or justification means, it simply means just as if we had never sinned. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And those he justified, he also glorified. And we're going to look at that, how God glorifies us. Paul in Romans 8, verse 16 to 17. Please read the passage, the whole passage. This is how God glorified us. It says this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You are a child of God. No longer a slave, but a child. Now, if we are children, we are heirs. Can you see? Heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. In other words, God says, yes, you will go through trials and tribulations, but you will go through these as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You have been glorified in Christ. There is no higher standing or calling in the, u- in the universe than to be an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. Nothing in all creation, not the angels, no one has that privilege of us born-again believers standing in this high place of authority, seated in Christ, even heavenly realms, as an heir of God. What does that mean? We have the same standing in Christ as Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? We truly believed what the Word of God said about us. And that's why Jesus could say, you will do even greater things than these that I did in my name because I've paid for the price for your sin. I've taken out the miry clay. I've put your feet on the rock and you have standing and authority in me. And if you look at Ephesians chapter two where it talks about being seated in Christ in heavenly realms, In a sense, we are not praying up when we pray for people. We are praying with authority in Jesus Christ down because we are seated in Christ. When we worship, we worship up. But we need to understand, as Paul says, that there's an incomparably great power, Ephesians chapter 1, that is for us who believe. And he says that power is like the working of his mighty strength that he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That power is not for unbelieving believers. That power is for believing believers. 
for us who believe. And so often we look at ourselves and say, well, I'm only his, but in Christ we are heirs, and in Christ we have authority, in Christ we have an anointing, and God wants us to work that out and walk that out. This, the world is not afraid, the enemy is not afraid of a powerless church. He's not afraid of it. He's not afraid of a church sitting in a building. He's afraid of a church or the priesthood of all believers who understand who they are in Christ, who understand what God has done for them, and that will go in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Heal the sick, raise the dead. He said, in my name, you, you can and will do these things. And I'm praying that this year that our faith will arise, that we will truly believe what the Word says about us, who we are in Christ. Remember, in yourself you are worth nothing, but in Christ you are all things. And takes the nothings, and in Christ makes us something. And we need to take that authority of our families, of our lives, of our cities, of our nations, and begin to walk in it, and walk in the power of the Spirit. You see, he goes on to write in verse 31, going back to verse um, 31 in Romans 8. And he goes on to write this after he says this, that we will share in his glory. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. In the flesh, yes, people can bring charges, but God says, no, I have made you in Christ, forgiven your sin, just as if you never sinned. And the enemy will always remind you of your past. And I guarantee you start stepping out for Jesus, you will get criticism. Because the enemy uses people. But we need to understand, even if it's true what happened, even if we did those things, God has justified us. In God, in Christ. We cannot live in our past. We have to smash those rear view mirrors. We have to smash them. And when the enemy reminds you of your past, you remind him of his stinking future. Because it's not good. And he knows it. And he wants to take people with us, with him. And he wants us to share that light. And uh, God wants us to share that light so people will know of his love, mercy, and grace. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. We don't know when our day comes. And I'm not one that loves to preach and instill fear. But at the end of the day, our inheritance is eternal. And whether it's another 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, let's give it to God. Let's dedicate our lives and let this church be known for a people that believe what the Word of God says about who they are and what they've been called to do.
that we will go and make disciples, that we'll see the sick healed, the lame walking, that we'll see the city, that we'll see 10 cities, we'll see people uh, not taking years and years to get off addictions and all of that, but we can lay our hands and they can instantly de- deliver from the curse of the addiction over their lives. God can do it. Amen? Do you believe that? Yes. Are you believing believers? Yes. Amen. We are more than conquerors through him. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Remember, it's always in him and through him. For I am convinced, church, we need to be convinced of these things. Paul walked through these trials because of this. Paul did what he did and he gave his life for the gospel because he was convinced of this. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, or anything in all creation, anybody, nobody, will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing that you could ever do. God loves you. You're his child. And sometimes we are prodigal sons. Sometimes we do do things that must displease him and hurt him. But when we come back, he's always there with his arms open up. And we come back not as slaves or as servants, but we come back as sons and daughters of God. What an amazing promise Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us. But that can only be found in and through Jesus Christ. You see, Romans 5, 6 to 11, I love this passage. I can identify with it. Speaks of God's unconditional love. He said, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the Ungodly. I love the just at the right time. There's a just at the right time for you to understand the mercy and the love of God. Just at the right time. And it might be today. You might have walked away from God. You might have been disappointed by, by people, by the church. And this is your just at the right time. But we all have one. But we all have a choice as to whether we believe or not. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, this is the words, his own love in this. This is the sentence where God fully demonstrates his love. It's in this. And that is, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. We often live in this world and we have accusations and we live in a place where he loves me, he loves me a lot, I was good today, God must love me tomorrow, um, I did something wrong, he doesn't love me anymore or I did this or did that or I'm having a great day and the enemy reminds me of something in my past and our God doesn't love me. God's love does not change. God's love is the same yesterday, 
today and forever, and it is constant. It is constant. And he demonstrates his love, not in what he, how he blesses us and he does bless us, not in um, that, we, uh, that he takes a while, all of our trials. No, we do go through trials. We've just seen that. But he demonstrates his love in this one thing, He could give nothing more than his only son. What more could he be given for us? He demonstrates it in this, that Christ died for us. Now, since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For while if we were God's enemies, and I truly was one at one stage, a mocker and an enemy, we were re- but whilst in that state, he poured out his love, and we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this one life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. What a beautiful word that is. You see, church, in the natural, there's, mu- there's much to be anxious about these days. Let's not kid ourselves. But God has a solution. And that solution is laid out many errors of the word, but this for me kept me through many trials. Just these few little verses. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Anything's a big word. I cannot be anxious that I, I missed my coffee this morning. I need a coffee or, oh, I wonder what today's gonna be like. Maybe I don't get anxious about that. But there are some things that are bigger than us bigger than our situation that we get anxious about, but God is bigger than them all. God is bigger than them all. Remember, we heard all things work together for good for, for the, to whom those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This side of eternity, we might not even see that. See, we cannot place ourselves on the same intellectual level as God. We cannot do that. The creator of the universe, if God were to download all his knowledge into my two or three pounds of jelly in my head called a brain, it would explode all over you. I could never, ever contain it. So we walk by faith that God is with us through the fires, through the trials. We do not walk by sight, but in faith that God knows. And no matter what happens to us this side of, of eternity on earth, our names are in the Lamb's book of life, and we will live forever and ever in his presence. No matter what happens, If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, no matter how long you live or how short, you win. You win. 
you win. We have an eternity to spend with our loving God and Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, worshiping them forever. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation, He lays out four things that we should do every time. And He says this, but in prayer, Pray, present your request to God. Petition, continue. Like the persistent widow, don't give up. Petition the king, petition him, petition him, petition him. Keep on, don't give up. Be it for yourself, for a loved one, for a family member, This is what we do. When we get anxious, we go to our dad. And do you know what prayer is? Simply speaking to our dad. I love the Psalms, and I I love David. I can identify with him in many ways. He was up and down like a yo-yo. God, I worship you. Oh, God, kill me. (laughs) Or kill them, or kill somebody. But God says this. I found in David a man after my own heart. You see, God's after the heart. And he will do everything I tell him to do. We know he messed up a few times, but he had a heart for God. And God loves honesty. Because he knows your thoughts and he knows what you're gonna say before you say it. I'm sure he's sitting there and saying, don't say that, don't say that. Oh, okay. I love you anyway, but you shouldn't have said that. (laughs) He knows. And so when we are in these places to pour out our hearts to God, it's like pouring our heart to the best father in the world. I'm lonely, I'm lost, I'm afraid. I've sinned, I've done all of these things. He knows it anyway. But confession does something for us. We don't confess our sins um, for God. We confess our sins for ourselves. Because Hebrews 10 says that when you confess our sins before him, he cleanses us from a guilty conscience. We're the ones carrying the stuff. He says, just give it to me. Present those things to me. Petition me. With what? With thanksgiving. And I want to challenge you every day. And I was thinking when I was, uh, I'll tell you the scripture when I was thinking, asking God what I should do on this last Sunday of the year and the, new, uh, and the new year this week. I'll speak to that a little bit later. But I want to challenge you to wake up in the morning, for me too, and to give thanks to God for at least five things before you say anything else. For your home, that electricity's on again, (laughs) that you have water, the things we take for granted. Oh, woe is me. Woe is me, lying in a warm bed, and I'm from Africa, so I like the heat up. My wife likes it down, so it depends who gets lost to the the 
uh, temperature gauge wins. So much to be thankful for, for our families. And if things are going wrong, that we are never alone, that God is here, that he loves us. Thank him for his son. Thank him for these things. I tell you, it will start changing our attitude with thanksgiving. God, I want to be thankful. I don't want to take for granted the beautiful people that he's called Deborah and I to lead in this church. I don't want to moan and complain about it. And sometimes we can. And sometimes we need to take those things to our father. But it wouldn't be cool if the first thing we said to our dad is thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for saving me. And by the way, I've got this, this, and this, these prayers and petitions. Present your request to God. He knows them, but he wants you to present them. And then, this is the thing, and this is where we've got to step back for a moment. Then, and I've put it in my notes, allow the peace of God, what transcends our all understanding to God, our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The transcendent peace of God. Give thanks, present your request, and then step back for a moment and allow the peace of God to come upon you. Just wait upon him. Worship him until you will get that peace because God's transcendent peace has got nothing to do with circumstance. It's the convincing that Paul had that nothing can separate me from God's love. It's a peace in the midst of the storms. Sometimes he takes the storms away and sometimes he doesn't. And we don't understand these things. But we can have his transcendent peace all the time. World is going, all the red lights are flashing. Beep, 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 beep. I'm gonna step, thank you, Father. I'm your child, thank you. You love me. And Lord, I pray, fill me with the shalom of God. Do yourself a favor, Google that word shalom. We say peace is like peace out kind of stuff. It's wholeness, it's healing, it's restoration, it's joy, it's peace. That word shalom is huge. And that's the transcendent peace of God. And how many of you have been in that situation? And Deborah and I have known this well sometimes, that the storms are blowing and you just can't do anything, but you feel the presence and the peace of God like never before. And that's how we to deal with anxiety. And it will transcend our understanding Everything's going crazy, but we've got our hearts and our minds. I'm finished with this, we're gonna break bread, and I'm asking you when we do as I did, please, if you just take some time, we'll do some worship, you come up, we'll have the elements here, the, uh, and just find a spot. Sit in your chair or with a group of people or with yourself before God, and let's thank him. Thank him for what he did on the cross. Thank him for saving us, whatever else. But interesting, this is what caught my attention. 
for today. And this is why I'm preaching on this. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, 11 to 19, we read an account of Jesus healing 10 lepers. But after he healed them, in verse 15 we see that only one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. We'll go on from that. God does so many things for us. And I know myself, this hit me like a freight train, how often I take for granted what God has done for me, what God has done for us, what God has done for us as a community and is doing, that I forget to thank Him. I'm so busy on the next problem that I'm giving to Him. Because it's interesting that This is in the Word of God, and everything in the Word of God was for a purpose. John says Jesus did so many things that if we were to write about Him, the books of the world couldn't contain it. But the Holy Spirit, the writers inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote the Word of God. It was downloaded to them. This is their account, but it's a download, and the Holy Spirit would show them what to highlight. And Luke highlights this in here, in verse 16, one of them, 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? He, has, he has, no, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. Then he said to him, arise and go. Your faith has made you well. And I believe when we get this right because God is self-existent, he doesn't need our love, he doesn't need our praise, he's in the God that he has everything that he needs. These are for us. Everything God does is for us. It's to teach us, to warn us, to train us, to encourage us, to empower us, but for us. And when we do this, when we say, you know, actually today, God, I thank you that I got to work and back safely in a storm. Or God, I thank you. What does it mean? It changes your attitude, not God's. God doesn't have an attitude. God is constant. It reminds us. And the interesting thing is, I was looking this up, in, uh, just before uh, Jesus, at Passover, he, just before that we know he, this lady, doesn't say, anointed his head with oil, with this large, pure perfume. And a um, few of the people, including Judas, freaked out about it because they thought it was a waste. But you know what it says there? And this is what caught my attention. While he was reclining with his friend, Simon the leper, at his table. And I thought, I wonder if that leper wasn't this leper. 
because he couldn't have still been a leper because he would have been banished. He must have been healed, but people knew him. That's the guy that had leprosy. That's the guy that had this. And he says he's reclining at the table with his friend. And this no-name lady gives a year's wages of perfume and anoints his head. And they freak people, oh, you could have put head the poor. And he says, this is a prelude to my burial, which would happen that very weekend. Simon the letter, the leper. He's the dude. And I read commentaries, and there could have been Simon this and that, but a number of them confirmed that. We will never know. I'll go and find Simon the leper when I'm in heaven and make sure. But I think it was him. I think this, he became a friend, a friend of God, because you're so grateful. Because he could not have had leprosy to be sitting at that table. And that's the relationship that God wants. 